that the good work you began in each one of us, you're faithful to complete. And we thank you, Lord, that you adopted us into your family, that you're never going to say no, you're never going to reject us, God, but you're always going to say yes to us as people, as your children. And we thank you for each other, Lord, that we are family members in the body of Christ and for the potential for intimacy and richness and emotional fulfillment and healing that comes through family quality relationships. And I I pray, Father, that seeds would be sown today that would establish deeper family, deeper intimacy, and um, just bring restoration in your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I was up north on a retreat with the Harvest Project, and we were doing a ropes course, which was really fun, and I was catching people, and they were coming down a zip line, and there was a group of two people that had a lot of weight to when my knee was angled in a way that wasn't the best, and my knee was impacted by those people, and I got a, uh, a level one sprain with my, my knee, so I need to not walk as much as possible to facilitate the healing of that. This message, I really felt the heart of God on it. And it's called loving and connecting with the broken. And I think maybe it might be about half and half. People who come from pretty healthy family backgrounds versus those who come from pretty broken backgrounds. People who come from healthy backgrounds, it's hard for them to understand the mindset and the emotional state of being of broken people. And because of that, it's hard for them to connect and relate with them in ways that are meaningful and transforming. There's a gap. And I feel that we need to have an understanding. You know, those who are more whole need to have an understanding of the mindset and the struggles that accompany brokenness so that we can more facilitate relationship and healing in the body of Christ. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We see that God has a special tenderness and care and intimacy with emotionally broken people. Emotionally broken people are devastated, emotionally tortured, neglected, abandoned, afraid, lonely, suspicious, untrusting, and very vulnerable, oftentimes with little or no one to protect them. In this message, I am focusing more on long-term brokenness than short-term brokenness. Emotional brokenness in people's lives wrongly establishes a false identity and hinders their capacity to relate to God and to others in a meaningful way. God designed the family to be our main safe place. How many, raise your hand if your family was a safe place for you, a place where you could be vulnerable, where you felt accepted, Okay, so we, I, see, I see that actually is a minority of people raising their hands on that. The family is supposed to be an emotional support base which gives us strength and establishes identity. 
For the broken, their families are usually not safe or supportive. Broken people's families are usually the root cause of their pain. Childhood pain from family is the main source of brokenness. Most broken people don't know what healthy family looks like because they never experienced it. A few years ago when I got to know Paul Anderson and his family, I was really attracted to them, to their love, to their healthiness and their care, and they had me they invited me to have meals with them once in a while. And me, in my brokenness, coming to that table, it scared me. There was anxiety in me being around a family. And the reason for that is because my experiences at the dinner table with my family, they were very destructive for me. I never knew when my mom would explode and just go off. I never knew when my brother would just start to attack me emotionally and just try and stick it to me. My father was dead. My parents were divorced before that. And so family to me, the dinner table to me was an unsafe place. It was a scary place. And that became my perspective of what family is and what dinner with family is. And so coming to a safe, healthy family, it took me a while to overcome and um, have God reprogram in my heart and in my mind what family experiences should look like. So that, that's a key for those who are, are, are whole and healthy is that it does take a long time for people who are deeply broken to adjust to a healthy family experience. And I couldn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's hard for broken people to feel safe, even if you're around people who are safe. Paul is a safe person. Karen is a safe person, but I didn't feel fully safe around them because of the fear inside of me, and so I couldn't be fully vulnerable, um, and I, I couldn't fully receive the love and the affection that they had for me. Some of that stuff would just bounce off my heart. So these are some of the obstacles that, that we face in dealing with people who are broken. Becoming a safe place. God wants us to become a safe place for people. When I think of a safe place, I think of a person who is understanding, who is not judgmental, person who listens, a person who is not going to dominate somebody, a person who's going to understand and support and encourage, somebody who is going to have unconditional love. I try to be a safe place for people, and I find certain people sharing things with me very tender, very sensitive, might be things they struggle with or that they have struggled with or deep feelings. They share them with me. They don't share them with anybody else. So I think that says that I'm becoming a safe place, that I'm showing real love and affection for them based on who they are and God's love for them and not based on their successes or their failures. 
Thank you. Attuning to people's hearts. If I'm going to attune to somebody's heart, that means that I need to be sensitive to their emotional state of being. That means that I need to connect with their heart. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to show me what's going on in their heart. I need to be sensitive to their feelings. And I need to adjust my level of energy to where they're at emotionally. And as I'm able to adjust my energy level and my emotions to people who are broken, it enables them to let their guard down and start to express themselves in ways they otherwise wouldn't. It enables me to connect with them. Emotionally broken people, oftentimes it's hard for them to adjust their emotional state of being in such a way where they can meet with your energy or your joy or whatever the case may be. So those who are more whole, I really think the responsibility falls on them to try to empathize and identify with the broken. I've never heard that before. I've never read that before, but that sounds very important. Okay. Because the Bible says to rejoice with the, those who rejoice and weep. So we adjust ourselves rather than expecting someone else to adjust. That's really true. And speaking of that verse that you just mentioned, that's where we're going to go right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Paul is talking about us, the body of Christ, as a family, as members together of one body. And I'll just start in verse 24, in the middle of it. It says, But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. And that's interesting. He says he's given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. These might be people with maybe less uh, whistles and bells of their spiritual giftings. It might be people from a demographic that might, might seem less honorable. It might be referring to broken people too. People who are lacking in some way. That, that God wants to give honor to those who are lacking in some way in the body of Christ. Verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. It's always easier to connect with people who might be more fun or more attractive or um, dealing with less issues where, where it, it's less taxing and more enjoyable to connect with them on a surface level. It's always easier. But the body of Christ doesn't work that way. The body of Christ should be driven by love, not by pleasure. And there is, there is genuine pleasure in loving people. The body of Christ, we should be serving one another and seeing how we can meet one another's needs. And now Paul is going to say what that Paul said. Two Pauls saying the same thing here. Verse 26, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So here's what Paul is saying. If somebody's suffering, we're talking some sort of emotional suffering. It could be physical suffering too, which also causes emotional suffering. That those who are not suffering should be able to identify with those who are broken and suffering in such a way that they can feel that pain. They can identify with the suffering of the, the members of the body of Christ. And as they identify with that suffering, they love that person 
And they go to God in prayer, and they start interceding, right? They start ministering to the broken person. It is actually a gift and a blessing to be able to connect with people who are broken and to be able to give them life. I am a, I am a mentor. I mentor and I minister to people who are broken. And I remember a, a friend of mine who was really suffering, and I, I was counseling him and doing some inner healing, and I could just see the loneliness inside of him. And I could just see that he wanted to be embraced. And I said, would you like me to come over there and sit next to you? And yeah, and he just kind of like this this 24-year-old guy looked like a 3-year-old. Like this, this, these very tender uh, emotions came to the surface, and he just wanted to be loved and supported. And so I sat right next to him, and I held him. And I identified with his sufferings. And I, the Holy Spirit enabled me to literally feel his pain. And I, I know other people who God will give them that grace. They can literally feel other people's pain. And as I embraced him and just prayed over him, I could feel the love of God for him. And there was a special bond. There was something special happening in the spirit between him and myself as God was just a conduit of grace and love as I chose to love this guy in a very deep way. So I was blessed and strengthened and ministered to by God is I made myself available to love this broken guy. We, a part of attuning with people, have you ever been talked at before? You know, it's like I can be a preacher behind the pulpit and I'm preaching at you, right, right, right? And I, my voice matters and yours doesn't. Your voice does matter whether I'm preaching or not. But haven't you ever felt like maybe you share a problem or a concern with somebody and they talk at you? not with you, and they trample on your heart, they trample on your emotions, and they've got the answer, but they, they think they have the answer. And the way they're stewarding your heart hurts so much, and it, it puts guards up, and you don't even want to open up to them anymore because they have just betrayed your trust. Does that happen to anybody here? It's happened to me. Even people who are sincere, who want to help, they've done that to me, Okay. So I need to forgive people who treat me that way. But I also need to teach people who treat me that way. I also need to let people know that they need to attune to my heart. It says in James, be slow to speak but quick to listen. There's a reason why he says that. You know, we really need, I think that also has to do with attuning to a person's heart, attuning to a person's voice and their state of being. We listen to them, we empathize and identify with them, and then, as the Spirit leads, we respond. You've all heard about Job, right? Job, he was God's guy. Blessed, right? All this financial blessing. Wonderful family. This is a righteous, holy man. He doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. This like oftentimes we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in our lives. And a tragedy hits him, right? His business fails. His children are killed. His health is taken from him. And his wife says, curse God and die. This man is experiencing an emotional trauma, emotional pain and a loss that, that probably none of us have, have tasted to that extent. He is hurting deeply and he is in sackcloth and ashes and mourning and his 
scratching the boils. This man is in constant agony, emotionally suffering. Lost those who meant most to him. And he doesn't know why it's happened to him. And he is in agony. And you can read chapter after chapter of this man's agony and frustration and not understanding why God would do this to him. Okay? Job's friends come. His three best friends. And then a fourth guy comes eventually too. And you know what they do? For seven days, they do the right thing. They enter into his presence. And they identify with him. They identify with his suffering and they support him just by being physically present with him. And they don't say anything. But they're there because they love him. They actually enter into his mourning because Job is in a place of mourning right now and his friends are honoring his emotions. They're honoring him just by being there, by being listeners, by praying, by, by standing with him. I remember a time when I, I had a, a physical, I don't even remember what happened to me, but something really bad happened to me. I think, oh yeah, I had, I had her, uh, surgery, double hernia surgery. And a friend came to visit me. You know, I could barely walk, I was in so much pain. And all he did is he just sat right next to me. I was so lonely. And he just sat right next to me. And that ministered so much to my heart. And I've had other friends come to me with different, I've been through a lot of trials and tribulations. Um, but friends who just want to be with me and just want to enjoy me. They don't even want to necessarily talk about the issues. They just love me. And they're there for me. And that ministers to me so much more than somebody trying to solve the problem. They're just there. And Job's friends did it right for the first seven days, right? But then they did it wrong after that, right? Okay. They became the know-it-alls. They're pretty intelligent people and they thought they had the answers. They thought they knew how God acted. Cause and effect. God is righteous. God is only going to bring suffering or pain or allow it to happen if you sin. It's called the retribution principle. Theologically, that's what they call it. Okay, these guys were health and wealth. They had that perspective. Prosperity preachers. If you live a righteous life, you're going to be blessed. And you have sinned. You need to confess your sin to God because you have brought this all upon yourself because of your wickedness. And Job's like, uh-uh-uh, that's not the way it worked here, dudes. But the thing is, you have to understand this now. Let's go a little deeper. His friends were accusing him. It's your fault. I've had people accuse me. I've been through a lot of suffering in different ways. I've had people say it's your fault. That really hurts. That doesn't just hurt. That really hurts. Okay? So we need to not accuse people in their suffering. Most of the time when people are suffering deeply, it's because of something that happened to them, not because of something they did. People make stupid choices that cause, can cause pain too, so that's true. But usually, really broken people are broken because of neglect and abuse, not because they just chose to be buttheads. Okay? So we, we need to not come with a, a spirit of criticism and assume cause and effect that this person is suffering because they have rebelled against God. That's not the case. And the fact is, um, these guys who thought they were in the right were in the wrong and God actually got mad at them. 
and Job had to pray and actually do offerings for, for his friends because the wrath of God, it looks like in Job that the wrath of God was going to be released against his friends for so misrepresenting God's character and for being, um, I mean, I, I don't want to speak into the Bible where it doesn't speak into the Bible, but it seems that um, not just because they misrepresented God, but because they so poorly stewarded Job that God was not pleased with that either, right? We really need to steward people well. We need to steward people's hearts well, um, especially when they're suffering. And as I'm talking about brokenness, we have to understand there's two, two, two sides here. You know, people get stuck in self-pity, right? Some people revel in their brokenness. They revel in their suffering. And they find security in it. They find safety in it. They indulge in it. And I've, I've talked to people like that. And I know that it's going on. And you have to be so gracious and tender in how you approach that and say, God has something so much better for you if you're willing to let this go. Don't look to this as your security blanket. And There are actually spirits behind this too. I mean, there are spirits of depression. There are spirits that enhance self-pity, poor me mentality, right? That's not from God. But at the same time, we don't want to invalidate people's suffering, right? So we want to honor people and realize this is a part of, 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 of experience in a broken world. It's a very important part of experience in a broken world. Jesus suffered. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He needed the support of his disciples when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He needed them there. This is the Son of God who's got a lot of pressure on him. He's going to go through something that none of us can imagine. He needs people there for him, supporting him because he is suffering. He is in agony. He's sweating drops of blood. And it wasn't his fault. Right? So suffering, sometimes I think we can tend to think, okay, they're suffering, they're less important. Or um, we can invalidate people and their sufferings. There's a, there's, there can be a temptation for that. May we not go there. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul talks about despairing of his life. And then he talks about God comforting him in his affliction. Right? So if we're, if we're despairing for whatever reason, we have to realize God, God's response to that, how he wants to respond is by comforting us. And if we're suffering, it does say in, in 2 Corinthians, in verse 4, um, that we are to comfort those who are suffering. Right? I can, I can jump there quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, in case I mess that up. Okay. Who comforts us in all our troubles? He's referring to God. And then he says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So the right response to people who are in trouble or suffering or afflicted, the right response is not accusation or criticism. The right response is to bring comfort to them. Right? That is our responsibility as the body of Christ. And as we do that, God is going to bear fruit. And his spirit is going to move in that person's life and bring healing and transformation. So may God make us mighty comforters for his kingdom. We know about David. King David, the man after God's own heart. He did some amazing things, right? He did some amazing things. The greatest king of Israel, right? 
he did some beautiful life-giving things with his brokenness. Was David a broken man? Did he go through some intense hardship? Just throw out some of the things that happened to David that were pretty hard on him. Just throw some out there. Anybody? What's that? His son died. Okay, his son, his son died. Okay, so his father-in-law, the king of Israel, wanted to kill him. Okay, that's not fun. That would hurt, wouldn't it? If your father-in-law is trying to kill you, that would make me feel good about life. Okay. Okay, so Jonathan, his best friend, dies. He loses somebody he loves deeply. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, his own brothers, when he came to, to bring forth provisions in the war with the Philistines, they were scorning him. It looks like they were rejected him. That would hurt pretty bad, huh? Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Samuel comes. He's like the president to the nation in a way. I mean, he has that level of, of authority and clout. Okay. He's going to come and he wants the sons to pass by him and they're going to have a feast. David's, what's that? He had a son who, who died from another son who then tried to overthrow him and died. So he lost okay. two sons. That yeah. Three, yeah. And so, his wife also made fun of him when he was trying to break the one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so his wife criticized him. Um, yeah. His dad didn't invite him to, to the meal when Samuel's going to come. I mean, that would hurt mm-hmm. if, if some really important national figure came. And your dad didn't even invite you to that meal? Wouldn't that hurt you? I wouldn't feel important. So there is a lot of rejection there. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of loss. Right? And we, we see a lot of that in the Psalms. Right? David, the, the great musician of Israel, writes all of these Psalms. And in it, he doesn't hold back his emotion. Right? He brings his suffering to God. And he is honest with the depth of it. And we're, we're going to jump to Psalm 13. Verses 1 through 2. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Feels like God has forsaken him. How long will you hide your face from me? You feel so alone. Where are you, God? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? If you have to wrestle with your thoughts, do you think your thoughts are are peaceful and comforting? Probably not, right? Some of us have to wrestle with our thoughts. Some of us have to wrestle with our emotions because we are being tortured by our thoughts and our emotions, right? We're trying to stay afloat. And here David is involved in the same trial, the internal suffering. He says, every day I have sorrow in my heart. Every day this man is hurting, right? He's the, he's the called leader of Israel. And he knows the call on his life to be, be set apart as king. But every day he has sorrow in his heart. How long will my enemies triumph over me? So he doesn't look like a victor here. He looks like somebody who's in very deep pain and very deep brokenness. And that's real. And he didn't hide from it. He gave it to God, and he was honest with it. 
and God comforted him, ministered to him. In so many of these psalms, he starts off with his brokenness and his suffering and being overwhelmed by his enemies and by his, his emotions. But, but usually in every psalm, it turns it's a transition from a suffering into the goodness of God. In Psalm 88, I think it ends with, darkness is my closest friend. Right? So there were times where it seemed like he was in pretty deep despair, which is understandable, because he had a very hard life. Did God provide people in his life to comfort him? Somebody mentioned Jonathan. In, in 1 Samuel 23.16, let's just go there. You have a guy with a huge call in his life who's really going through a lot of suffering. And God puts somebody in his life who's very special. They have a bond that is very unique and profound. They have a love that's very unique and profound. David says in lamenting over Jonathan that his love for me is greater than that of women. And that was earlier on in his life. But the quality of that love was so deep um, and so supportive for him. I don't know if David could have made it as far as he did without the love of Jonathan. I wonder if God gave him that level of a, a, such a deep, loving, supportive friend because he needed that. Without Jonathan, he wouldn't have made it. It's very possible. So 1 Samuel 23.16, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at, at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Okay, So we think about what is our role as a comforter, as a friend to people who are suffering. I need to help people find strength in God, right? I love them, I support them, we have our relationship, but it has to go beyond me. I've got to point them to a faithful, loving, caring, gracious, all-satisfying, sufficient, loving Father and help bring them there. Right? There have been times where I've been so down and so broken and somebody might come and visit me and they'll just start worshiping. And they bring me out of the darkness and they bring me into the light. Right? So I have had friends do this for me and I've been this friend for others. I had a friend come to me and I... Right when he came in the house, this is a man who is an evangelist. This is a young guy who has such a strong call in his life, a lot of brokenness. I knew he was suicidal. God showed it to me. There was such darkness and such oppression on him. And he, he was uh, in my house. I was just another, another guy, and he came over to study for a bit. And I, I knock on the door, and I'm like, are you struggling with suicide? He says, yes, I am. And we spent time together and worked through that. And when he left my house... He was not struggling with suicide anymore, right? So I comforted him. I, I helped to bring him strength in God. And that's what we should be doing for other people. Jonathan did this for David, and then he left, right? He, he went back to, uh, to be with Saul. We need to love, comfort, support those who are broken, be agents of grace, for them, we need to help people connect their pain to a loving God. And there, there's so many songs, and I love the songs. I love the joyful songs. But you know what? Be still, my soul. The Lord is on my side. It is well with my soul. These songs that that legitimize and address suffering and pain. And you can go to God in that state of being with your pain. I, I wish we could hear more of that music because it so much enables me to connect to the heart of God in the midst of my suffering. I don't think God wants me to just shove my pain down and try and be something and create something in my heart that's not true to form. I think God wants me to, 
take whatever I have and give it as an offering to him when I'm in worship. Um, some of those minor key songs help me. And as I, as I enter into the presence of God with those minor key songs and release that, then I can jump into the major keys more easily. I have found much comfort in identifying with the suffering David in the Psalms. And I oftentimes suggest that people are suffering, read the Psalms of David. They've, they've given me so much strength. Sometimes you feel like, who on earth understands what you're going through? It's so hard sometimes to find people who can truly understand the pain that you have. And I read the Psalms, and I'm like, this man understood. And this is a man of God. Or I read in Jeremiah where it talks about the, his own sufferings. I mean, these great men of God that have gone through such pain and such suffering. And that validates my pain and suffering. It gives me strength to know that God's going to meet me there. David ended up pretty well, right? God got him through it. Jeremiah overcame. And he, he fulfilled the assignment that God had for him. And Paul, who despaired of life, God saw him through, right? And the same God will see us through in our sufferings. But they all had people in their lives who supported them. We have to remember that. That's incredibly important. Jesus was misunderstood by his family. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. Anybody have a friend who betrayed you, who betrayed your trust? Okay, That hurts. That really hurts. But we have to bring all of our pain to God. We have to forgive everyone who's hurt us. And that brings liberty Jesus experienced emotional agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was rejected by Israel. On his way to Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Can you think of that love? Can you think of that passion that he had for his people, Israel? How much he wanted them to say yes? How much he wanted a relationship with them? There's agony in rejection. And these people's hearts being so hardened towards him. Right? He was a rejected man. Rejection is hard. But God always accepts us. He was chosen and loved. Thou art my son, whom I love. Right? Before he started his ministry, there was a love and an acceptance from Father God that enabled him to endure that rejection. Okay, so now we try to paint a portrait of the broken experience to give an understanding. Now, those of us who are more on the whole side, how do we relate to broken people? There are a lot of broken Christians. Some of them are intelligent. Some of them really want to do things for God. And because of their brokenness, it's hard for them to find true identity in love and true value in who they are. And so what they do is they look to ministry and they look to doctrine. And they, they wrap their identity in ministry. They wrap their identity in doctrine. And it becomes a sacred cow. In fact, it becomes an idol. Okay? It becomes a demonic stronghold, something that God meant for good. Satan twists because of the brokenness. They have a wrong relationship with their doctrine. They have a wrong relationship with their ministry. I have talked to people like this and I find oftentimes that if you get into debates with them, that they really get argumentative and they really get hurt quickly 
because they associate their beliefs with who they are. And so I find that it's wisest not to get in debates and arguments with broken people. Sometimes we don't know that they're broken. They can put on a really good demeanor, too. I find that the most fruitful way to address broken people is not to nitpick over doctrine. Doctrine is important, but you have to steward it well. You have to steward people's hearts well. It's to show them the love of Father God. That that is going to minister to their hearts. And if you go to the foundational thing of what they truly need, that is going to help to transform their relationship with doctrine with ministry. And that's very important. Oftentimes, broken people want to be in control. They feel so insecure and so unsafe, they try and dominate you. They try and dominate conversations. They want to be in control. They can be very contentious. They can be so easily offended. You can say something where you're not intending to reject, to reject them or criticize them, but they're looking through a lens of such brokenness that they see themselves as being criticized and rejected. Okay? So we really have to be careful of what we say to people who are broken because it's so easy to offend them and make them go. And I, I, I know stories of people who have come to different places that are pretty safe and they've asked for prayer or they've had dialogues with people and the people focus more on the, 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 the being right than on loving this person. And, and maybe they can't attune to them to the point where they realize they're so broken. I, I talked a few weeks ago to a guy that said he had a conversation. He wanted healing prayer. And the way he was stewarded hurt him so badly, he left and he cried. And he didn't go back to this ministry. And that grieves me, right? I, I want us to be such a safe people and such an attuned people that people come here or to any ministry and they feel important and loved and understood and safe. That they come back and they don't just leave because they've been so hurt. Right? Broken people cannot steward conflict well. Broken people tend to be very reactionary. And so if you're going to minister to broken people, it's probably a good idea that you know how to steward conflict well, that you're not passive-aggressive, that you're not easily offended. I've known people who are mentors to people who are broken mentees, and those mentors really hurt the mentees. Right? They did not steward their hearts well. We need to show grace, acceptance, and tenderness to broken people. And as we reflect the love of Christ to them, it's going to be more easy for them to relate to God as a loving father as opposed to a master dictator, which a lot of broken people see God as. Relationships are hard for wounded people. They tend to be passive and afraid to initiate relationships. Just because they're aloof and they're standoffish, it doesn't mean they don't want you to connect with them. In fact, they're probably the most hungry and starving for intimacy and relationships of anybody, but they're too broken to reach out to you. So we need to reach out to them. A young youth pastor friend of mine who's very gifted, he's had this youth pastor job for almost a year now, and he's dealing with so much rejection, he sits alone on Sunday mornings at at the services. And you know why he doesn't sit with anybody else? He's too afraid. He thinks that if he sits by them, they're going to reject him. He's that afraid. 
and there are adults there who see him, and he wants these adults to show love and invite them, invite him into their families, into their experiences, and they don't do that. And that really grieves him. Some weeks ago, he sat down alone, and a, a guy a couple years younger sat by him. And he told me how much that meant to him. It meant a lot to him. Yeah, his family, he comes from a Christian family, but a very broken Christian family, and they don't go to the church he goes to. Right? And so it's our responsibility in the body of Christ to look to those who come alone. People who come alone probably don't have good family dynamics. People who come alone probably don't have the emotional support that they need. And for those of us who do come, not alone, with others, with family, who have something to give, some, a place, to, like a nest, to bring the lonesome in, the familyless, the orphans in, we need to ask God, who should that be? Maybe it's one, maybe it's two people. And we, maybe we're going to have a family dinner on Monday or Tuesday or maybe a movie night. And let's call up somebody and say, hey, would you like to join us for a meal? Maybe after church. You, we have potlucks oftentimes. But let's, let's say to somebody, a, a college student or, or somebody who maybe seems like they could use a family, let's start to embrace them and invite them into our family. Right? I, I, I have a, a group of married couple that's done this for me, and I, I meet with them pretty much every week. And it has really brought a lot of healing to me. You know, to, to go to a home where you're important, where they, they're make, they make food for you, and they want to hear what's going on in your heart, that can make all the difference in the world. And, and some of us take that for granted because, again, we don't understand brokenness. We don't understand not having a family. right? For me to have... A, a family that wants me to be there and wants to do things with me, I don't have that anywhere else. You know, I, my father's dead. My mom is so emotionally broken, she cannot be that for me. My brother, I'm estranged from my brother. Okay? So this is a treasure to me to be able to have this in my life. And there are some people here and you could think, oh, it doesn't matter all that much if you invite them to a, deal, a dinner. No, that's a precious jewel to somebody who doesn't have a family. And I enrich the people's lives that I go to. The Melanders, I, I see them for about five or six hours every week. I enrich them. It's mutual. And you can bring somebody into your family and think, well, it's just going to be one-sided. No, that's not the case. Everybody is, has something to give, right? And we just need a healthy environment Right? The greatest growth happens in the greatest environment of love. If you're in a greenhouse, right? plants in a greenhouse, that's the perfect setting for the greatest growth and fruitfulness. So if you bring people who are starving emotionally for family quality relationships into a family, that is going to cause the greatest amount of growth, and then they're really going to start to bear fruit in a greater capacity. And I've seen in my life, as I've had this family quality experience, the fruit that I bear has increased significantly, right? And my quality of life has increased significantly. That's really important. And I mean, as far as anything that I said today that I, I hope people take to heart, it's that. It's that. And I, we were in the Harvest Project on a retreat the past week. 
I'm very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And one day it was a guy's birthday. And this guy who felt so belittled by his mom and dad, so criticized by his mother, so emasculated by his mother, so rejected by his passive father, this guy was celebrated. We sang happy birthday to him three times. He got brownies. He, he was loved. He felt loved. And there was such a smile on his face. And you know what I felt? I think I felt the heart of God for that day. Yeah. That what meant the most to God on that day was this broken, orphan guy truly felt loved by family and truly felt important. And I think that that was what was the most precious to Father God of anything that happened that day. Because that is God's value system. That we love and we support and we affirm people. Yes, he sure did. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had great gifts. And unless you were to, to embrace him and support him and nurture him and allow him to start expressing himself where he could feel safe enough, you'd never see that. You wouldn't get the blessing. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, just like Paul, right? I receive comfort so I can comfort others. That's a part of it. And we're going to we're going to finish with Psalm 68:6. The Bible says God sets the lonely in families. Okay? God sets the lonely in families. So if you're lonely, here's what I'd pray. I'd ask I ask these prayers. God set me in a family. Bring me to the right family. And for those of you who are not lonely, here's my prayer for you. God, who should I bring into my family? I want to end with that. This is, this, this is not on. <laughs> this was a brilliant, it's a brilliant message. There are many things I heard him say that I've never heard said before. And it comes out of his own pain. Isn't that something? That he is stewarding his pain. Those who are unable or unwilling to steward their pain are called victims. He is not a victim. He is a victor because although he has experienced and continues to experience a lot of pain, he is allowing God to teach him through his pain. And my friend Joe Johnson said, you know you have been healed when you can thank God for how he's used the pain of your past. That's a good statement. When he can say, thank you, God, that it's not a waste. Like Dan Seaman says to me, God doesn't waste anything. Everything counts, even the garbage. What did you appreciate about this message? Different ones. What was that? The heart of the Father. Clearly, you, you felt God's love today, didn't you? Coming through Him. What else? You felt God's love coming. Someone who is, who is not experiencing the same level. Okay. Okay, that's good too. Yes, he was exhorting us, not judging us.
Yes, it was refreshing to hear how he was using the scriptures related to suffering. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have experienced what Charlie is talking about from Bob, where he has identified with you in your pain and he's brought you comfort in the midst of it? Quite a few here. He, he's a master at this. He came up to our uh, Harvest Project retreat and we had scheduled him to teach more than he taught. And yet, what appeared to me to be the main reason that he was there was not simply to teach, but to minister, which he did throughout the whole week. Anything else? Yeah. 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 Really helpful insights that, that came across today. So I want us to bless Bob and pray for Bob, and then we want to take this uh, to another level. Yeah. Michael. Okay, you're ready to do it. Yeah. Who? Anything else? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I saw a hand way in the back. Mm. Isn't that helpful when somebody says what you believe and want to say? And they can put it in words. He, he put some things in words today. It was helpful to me as someone who has been more happy than, than broken that, that 
Our job is to find where they're at and come in at that place, not not just bring them to where we are at, to our joy, but to walk into their pain. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do. So uh, let's let's bless Bob and uh, bless his influence in our midst. Uh, bless the the part that he plays. Thank you, Lord, for today, for how you've uh, used Bob. The visual that I got was how, Lord, even in the back of this, uh, are, are the wall here, there's a few black scratches on the wall. But your light in, in our lives, whatever blackness there was or comes, your light overcomes. And on this white wall behind Bob is the picture that was painted. It's a picture of hope that your light overcomes. And thank you, Father, that you have shown him how hope, your hope, overcomes any darkness. Your love being poured out. We pray that that would continue, continuing in him, that you would just pour down your love, your grace, your mercy, your wisdom, discernment all the gifts that are are from you and the so that so that others will be comforted so that others will know we thank you for uh, this brother of ours amongst us and what a wonderful example he has been and we glorify and praise you this day we tell you bob that we love you and we appreciate how god is using you in our midst and in other places. And we pray uh, continued and increased anointing. We pray more anointing in this area of bringing deliverance and healing to people. We bless you with increased gifts. That May the gifts flow through you. May you have a greater capacity to receive the power from the eternal God to bring healing and deliverance to his children and to a broken world. Amen. I had some thoughts about ministry. Did you, did you have any thoughts you wanted to go with? Uh, you go for it, Okay. <clears throat> Let's stand together just for a moment here. And you find find uh, just one or two other people, people that you feel safe to, people that you feel close to. Find it, it may be a, a spouse, it may be a friend, just somebody that you're going to square off with now, uh, two or at the most three, and and go ahead and 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 uh, find that person now, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do. You may have to go to somebody or have them come to you. You can move around. Just start moving around now so that you find, uh, if you don't have one yet, move find uh, or find somebody that you can pray with. Raise your hand if you don't have somebody. Okay? Karen, move, move, move until you find somebody here. Find a group of two and you get, you get make it three. What 
what Bob has modeled for us is uh, there is a place for appropriate vulnerability. You've probably been in places, you've probably been in situations where people have been inappropriately vulnerable, and it doesn't release grace. But when you're, when you're vulnerable in an appropriate way, it dispenses grace that you feel built up by their very weakness, by their very sorrow. And Scripture tells us, we sang about it, uh, about men, when you're weak, he's strong. So in our, in our acknowledging our weakness, that's a, that can be a good time. So let's start there. By uh, with this person, it could be in a prayer or just saying, you know, he's touched on some things, and I feel particularly broken, particularly weak in this area, and just go ahead and uh, share that. End up praying for one another, but acknowledge your weakness, acknowledge brokenness, acknowledge sorrow, like David did and like Bob did. Uh, this is a time right now for the perfume of vulnerability just to be released in our midst. You won't know of other groups that are doing it, but we're all going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know what was sad to me when my, my son Israel turned the corner and came around? <clears throat> what he thought, he thought he was a flawed person in a flawless family. And I said, haven't you ever talked to your brothers? Haven't I ever shared with you my struggles, my brokenness? He didn't know. He didn't know how broken we were. And he was living like the flawed person in a flawless family. Oh, I don't want that ever to happen here. I don't want people to think that this is really a neat group of put-together people. We are a group of broken people, messes that God is restoring and recreating after the image of Jesus Christ. So we want to have that kind of vulnerability in our midst that releases, continually releases and fosters grace. So go ahead and and, uh, now share areas of vulnerability and hurt in your own life, brokenness, and then pray for one another. You can take two minutes. You can take 20 minutes. We're not doing a potluck today. So just take your time. Do it. Do it. Go when you need to, but stick around if you need to. Here's my assignment to you. You've got to